The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church and Pastor Mark Ermler. And everyone else, would you find Ephesians chapter number 3 in your Bible? And as you do that, I would uh, ask today, just as a favor to me, maybe you're not used to uh, following along here in the handout that you find in the bulletin, but what I'd love for you to do just to humor your pastor, uh, is to see if you might be able to jot down at least the main thoughts concerning the verse that we're going to be looking at, because honestly, what we're going to deal with here today, uh, for me, as a pastor of Crown Point Baptist Church, truly zeroes in on the prime directive for this ministry. I don't want it ever to be said, what was, what was going to Crown Point Baptist Church all about anyways? I mean, why did we get together on a Sunday and, uh, and meet together and open God's Word and sing songs and praise to God? What is the church all about? Now, Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3 has been our focus during our evening service. We're flipping now to allow it to become the focus of the morning service simply because uh, I believe that there are so many wonderful individual series of instruction in these last three chapters that we need to digest together as a church family. So this morning, the message simply is entitled, Glory in the Church. Follow along. I'm just going to read the last two verses of this chapter, and what I want you to imagine with me today is uh, going to be a little bit difficult for you to even visualize, simply because last week we got to think about a, a ship and Peter, and nets, and boats, and water, and all that good stuff. We have an image in our mind of what's going on. Today, we're going to look at a Bible verse that has no boat, no water. It's got no, uh, no Goliaths, no Davids, no, no big uh, visual pictures that you can wrap your mind around. But I'm going to tell you that the truth this morning is so critical, so vital, that if we really don't digest and understand the truth, we're going to miss out on really why we are. Ephesians is really broken down into two sections, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, and Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. We, we learned in our evening time that the first three chapters are all about the who in the Christian life. Our identity is in Jesus Christ, who we are. The riches of Christ, the grace of Christ, all the blessings that we have in Christ, and, and the fact that we are accepted in the beloved in Christ. In Christ is our hope of glory. So those first three chapters, if you, if you see there at the beginning in the introduction here, I want us to imagine a door and two sides of the door. The front side is just all about the who. It's all about Jesus and, and who we are. And so chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 drives home the reality that in Christ I'm changed. In Christ I'm blessed. In Christ I'm adopted. In Christ I'm a part of his body. In Christ I have all the riches eternally. At the right hand of the throne of God is Jesus Christ enthroned this morning. And uh, we have spiritual riches and heavenly places that Ephesians speaks about. 
It's glorious. It's wonderful. So the front of the door is all about who. It's all about Jesus. And it's all about who he is for the church. Now, on the back side of the door is the what. The back side of the door is, now, what does that mean to me in a practical, personal way? What does that mean for me to have all of this abundance in Jesus Christ? And what is God desiring? So, in our introductory notes, you see that in the first three chapters, we have the riches in Christ that are described, whereas in chapter 4, 5, and 6, it's going to be our responsibility. Because of who Jesus is, this is what he's looking for in his people, in his church. The front side of the door is our our doctrine. Oh, the wonderful truth that is layer upon layer in these first three chapters. Chapter 4, 5, and 6 are the duty. This now comes in a practical way to us to to, to say, God, am I fulfilling the duty of the Christian life? Am, Am I being what I ought to be because now I'm in Christ Jesus? The front end has the wealth, our riches in Christ. The back end has our walk, starting at Ephesians 4.1. Walk worthy of the vocation wherein ye are called. The front side of the door is our blessings. By the way, in chapter number 1, there is one sentence from Ephesians 1, verse 3, all the way to verse number 14, and it doesn't stop. In the Greek, it is one long sentence of praise to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Uh, the, the apostle is just overwhelmed here with God's riches and all that he has because of the Father and all that he has because of the Son and all that he has because of the Spirit of God. And he just can't stop talking. It's just going on and on and on and on. I, I dare you to read it in one breath. You can't. <laughs> Chapter 3 through 14 is a, I mean, you look at it and you say, well, that's a paragraph. No, it's not. It's a sentence. And it's one sentence, the great doxology of praise to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of God. So the front end is our blessings. What's the back end? The back end is our behavior. And so in the middle of the first three, the front side of the door, the last three, the back side of the door, we're going to look at the hinges this morning. You say, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the transitional verses. The hinges on the door. The hinges between uh, really all the blessings that God's given to me and now before we can get to the behavior, God wants us to pause a moment and just look at this glorious truth so that it might impact what I understand about the first three chapters and what God wants me to understand about the last Three chapters. And the message this morning is as critical as any message I've ever preached here uh, at Crown Point Baptist Church. So, again, no great little story I can tell you this morning to bring alongside this truth, but if you will just open up your heart and your ears, I believe God will fill your heart with the reality of so this is what the Christian life is all about. And my prayer is this morning that when you walk out of this place, 
you walk out with a better understanding of really what Monday through Saturday is all about, not just what Sunday's about. And that there'll be a whole new attitude concerning what it means to be a part of the church and a Christian. Father, I ask you this morning, just before we read these verses, that you would captivate our heart and our mind. Lord, I know I'm not up to the task of being able to fully describe the wonder that we're going to look at in these transitional verses. Lord, really, it's, it's too far above me. It's, it's indescribable. And God, I, I just ask somehow that you would, through your spirit and through your word, Communicate that truth in a way that can be understood so that it can be practiced. Lord, I thank you for each one that's here, and I pray today that, God, you would just put a hedge about our minds so that we would be able to concentrate here for these next few moments and receive from you what you're desiring for us to have. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. The who and the what. The Apostle Paul, when he got saved that day in Acts chapter number 9, the Bible simply says that Saul at that time, uh, off of his steed, that bright, shining light, and simply he said, Who art thou, Lord? And when Jesus Christ declared that he was God, declared that it was Jesus Christ, then the next phrase coming out of Saul's mouth is, What do you want me to do? You know, the Christian life is all about who and what. Who is Jesus, and then what does he need from me? I mean, why would God want to do anything with me? Who am I that God would be interested in taking my life and using it in a way to impact others for God? This morning, I'm going to do my best to drive home the prime directive of the New Testament. And and I I didn't choose this phrase lightly. The prime directive. What is God desiring for every Christian to focus on? I could say it this way. What's the big thing? What's the main thing? Of all the things that God wants you to do tomorrow, what's the most important thing that he has? What should be at the very top of the list as far as what you feel like God needs for you to accomplish. Well, the answer is found here in Ephesians chapter number 3. I'm going to read both verses, but we're going to focus mainly on chapter 21. We're going to jump in and unpackage it just phrase by phrase. And I trust that verse number 21, our hinge that connects the front of the door with the back of the door, will be firmly planted in our hearts and minds so that we will be able to, I mean, just rejoice in all that we have in Jesus Christ, but then also see that as a Christian, here's how God wants me to walk, how he wants me to live. The Bible says, verse 20, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. The reality is our prime directive as a church family is glory in the church. Glory in the church. You say, what is the local church all about? Well, 
It is blood-purchased believers that have seen themselves for what they are, sinners, lost and undone, recognizing that Jesus Christ and His blood alone could pay fully payment for our wickedness, our sin, our rebellion against God. And as we have by faith come to trust Jesus Christ alone, the Scripture then declares us to be justified, declare righteous by God. And now that we are His child, it's His plan to put us within the confines of a local New Testament church. That was, by the way, Jesus' plan. As He developed these 12 men, 11 which would go on to be the real pillars of that first church and give us a pattern in the New Testament concerning how God is using the church in every generation. So the prime directive is the glory of God. But the question this morning is, what is the glory of God? It's impossible here for me to rightly describe uh, this glory of God and what God is wanting to do uh, in the church today, but I'm going to attempt it, all right? Uh, it is reserved for God alone. I just want you to understand the heartbeat of your pastor when he says in a message, let's make sure that when it's all said and done, we're glorifying God. I'm just trying to get the, uh, get, have you get the heartbeat of the pastor when he says, you know, when, when, when we have music that blesses our heart and soul, our first reaction ought not to be to, to applaud uh, the, uh, the performers. Because, by the way, that's not how they see themselves. But it is to give glory to God in His church. This is not about you, and it's not about the church is all about Jesus Christ and specifically the church is all about this prime directive of seeing glory in the church and by the way he wants to see glory in our lives on a day by day basis Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. So we ask, what is glory? Pastor, what does that mean? It's reserved for God alone because it is the sum total of His intrinsic nature. It truly is God's essence. It's all the attributes of God all wrapped up in His splendor. It's His Glory. It is that which makes God, God. And that's why God is so jealous about His glory. In Isaiah, we find out that the Bible says that He refuses to share His glory with man. That He is a jealous God. And that God's desiring here for us to recognize how important it is for us to live for the glory of God. The Apostle Paul was trying to help the church of Corinth And he said these words just to sum it up. Whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, I tell you, that's pretty basic stuff, isn't it? You say, Pastor, you mean when I I, uh, uh, take a a drink of water here from a bottle, uh, it ought to be to the praise of His glory? Yes. 
whether I eat, whether I drink, whatever I do, it is all to the glory of God. It's all because of God. Everything that you see in creation is of God. And the heavens declare the glory of God. There is nothing visible that our great creator God has made that does not cry out, God's glory! The stars cry out, God's glory! All of nature screams out the glory of God. Everything but fallen angels and fallen man. And God is desiring for there to be a place on the planet, His local church, where He gets glory again in the church. Our goal ought to be to bring glory to God in everything we do. Number one, If you're scribbling down down notes, I want us to see the first little phrase in verse number 21. And it's simply, now unto him. The phrase, unto him. A person. I would need you to understand this morning that when we talk about glory in the church, we're talking about a person. This whole chapter shares with us the ministry of the Father, God the Father, and all the blessings that we have in Him, and the Holy Spirit. Verse verse 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. And then when we get to verse number 21, we see it's not just the Father and it's not just the Spirit, but it's the Son. The Lord Jesus Christ, it's unto Him that we're to give glory. Now in your notes, we're going to see here that the reality is, first of all, the Bible does tell us who should not get glory. And the simple answer is man. And that's why I'm so careful in God's church where He alone is to get the glory that we don't get all wrapped up in giving glory to each other when the glory belongs to God. And get in a mindset where you want to for whatever compliment comes your way just to say praise God. Just to say oh glory to God. Because that's truly where it belongs. Boy, you have an opportunity to participate and help. And maybe some of you are going to come out Monday night and help with the bottle. And afterwards, the grateful interns are going to say, well, thanks for coming out. Uh, Why don't you just say, well, glory to God. Just praise God. Just deflect the glory back to Him because it doesn't belong on me. And it doesn't belong on you. It belongs to God. What does the Bible say in Isaiah 42, verse 8? I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory will I not give to another. He's not interested in sharing it. It's who he is intrinsically. And he's desiring for us to recognize that if I have the opportunity to do anything, it's to praise his glory. It's to give praise to his glory. In the book of Acts, chapter number 12, this is that passage in the early church history where uh, we see Peter is in prison. Uh, of course, in this text, we see uh, the first of the apostles, James, is killed in verse number 2. 
And Herod thinks, wow, I've gotten a lot of praise for doing that. Let me go ahead and throw Peter in jail as well. And we know that God sent his angel to deliver Peter there in jail. And he goes to a prayer meeting as they were praying for Peter. And then a little later on in the passage, we come back to Herod. And I want you to read about Herod in verse 20 of Acts Acts chapter 12. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, but they came with one accord to him, and having made uh, Blastus the king's chamberlain, their friend desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. And, a, and, and upon a, a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. Boy, Herod was a public speaker. Uh, I mean, he was a polished politician. When he got up and he went, when he needed to make his case, he did it eloquently. And as he got up in great oratory and he spoke, notice what happens in verse 22, and the people gave a shout saying, it is the voice of a God and not of a man. All right? Well, that's one expression I haven't heard as you've gone out the doors. Thank you. All right? Uh, But that's exactly what they said to him. After he spoke, this is not a man, this is a God. Well, Herod took it all in. Herod took the glory. And verse 23 says, and immediately, the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory. I tell you, here's an unsaved reprobate of a politician that could care less for God. And yet God said, you robbed me of my glory, and I can take care of that immediately. Oh, in the Old Testament, Nebuchadnezzar went through the same thing when he took the glory to himself. God gave him the mind to do all the great wonders of Babylon, and yet he took the glory. Look what I've done! Look, 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 look! And God made him like a wild animal in the fields. Why? Because he tried to take God's glory. I want to impress upon your heart this morning that the glory of God is so important for us to wrap our hearts and minds around if we're going to really get uh, in a place as a church where God is wanting for us to be. Who is not to get God's, who get glory? Well, man is not. Who then should get glory? And I want to say, I want to be careful with get glory because if it's intrinsic, it's what he is. He is all glorious. He is the God of glory, the Bible says. But Revelation 4.11 does say, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory. God says he's worthy of this glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. He's worthy of it. He deserves it. He's all glorious. And and our opportunity in a local church is to have glory in the church. We're deflecting glory here back to God. Isaiah 6.3 says concerning our God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. You can't look anywhere and not see the glory of God. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. 
and the firmament shared uh, showeth his handiwork. First Chronicles 16.24, the Bible says, Declare his glory among the heathen. You see, I've always wondered what my number one main job is as a believer and our prime directive as a church, what that is. It is God's glory. That's exactly what it is. In the New Testament, in John 1.14, the, the Apostle John is writing, uh, rehearsing again that marvelous time when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration with uh, Peter uh, and James. And, and there what took place is Jesus was transfigured. The very essence of God, the glory of God shone through, illuminated through his body. And they saw it. And John wrote, writes in verse 14, we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We saw it. We saw the glory of God. It's mentioned in Luke 9, 2, But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were awake, they saw his glory. Can I tell you something? There's coming a day when you that are saved will see his glory. There's coming a day when we will have a body that will be able to see God's glory. So number one, we say it's all about a person unto him. Unto him. Somebody asked you in a nutshell, what's Crown Point Baptist Church all about? It's all about unto him. I mean, really, t t tell me about your church. It's about Jesus. It's his church. I'm just telling you what we're about. We're about his glory. We're about exalting him, lifting him up, praising him, honoring him, worshiping him. That's why we're gathered. We're not here to observe a spectacle. We are here to have our hearts brought closer to our Savior. We're here for the purpose of being able to be elevated in our spiritual walk as we just think upon Jesus Christ and all that God the Father, Son, and Spirit have done for us. So the person is unto Him. Notice the priority. Back to Ephesians 3, verse 21. Unto Him be glory. That is the priority. That is the prime directive. Whatever we do, we do all to the glory of God. You know, we've already looked at Ephesians 1, verse 6, 12, and 14 in that great doxology of praise. And after Paul is just remembering the, the riches of God the Father and all that God the Father has done. Go back just a couple pages here to Ephesians chapter number 1, and I want you to see in uh, verse number 6 what is declared here after we've focused on the Father. What, what should be? Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace wherein He has made us accepted in the Beloved. What a wondrous thought. What do you do when, when there's high and lofty thoughts about your God? Do you pause to offer up praise to His glory? Verse 12, it's, it's real simple. 
that we should be to the praise of his glory. He's trying to help this young church. He's trying to say, listen, you want to know what it's all about? That we should be to the praise of his glory. That's it. That's the church's prime directive. That's why we're here. That's what God is and what he wants the world to know. Can I tell you, as, as, go with me to John 17 for a moment. This needs probably a whole series of messages just on John 17. It's the high priestly prayer. This is the prayer when, when we read the text where Jesus was in the garden and he sweat as great drops of blood. Well, here we're actually getting to zero in on the actual prayer that Jesus is praying in Acts 17. See, they've already had the Last Supper. Uh, they've already here been uh, going uh, through the vineyards as he's teaching about the vine and the branches. Jesus has had an opportunity to teach them about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in John 14 and John 16. And now we're at the garden and Jesus begins to pray. And I just want you to notice what the focus of this prayer is. Now, remember, he's going to be crucified. They're going to kill him and he knows it. He already warned the disciples, listen, uh, they're going to kill me. And, and they're going to bury me, but I'm going to rise again after three days. He's already declared that. And so now in the garden of all the things that you're praying for, would you just follow along with me as I highlight a couple of verses? Look at verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hours come. What are the next words? What is the most pressing thing on the heart of the Savior just before he's about to lay down his life for my sins and your sins? There's only one thought consuming his heart and mind right now. And what is it? Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Oh, we can learn so much from that little phrase. What we can learn here this morning is that's what God the Father and God the, God the Son desire. They desire to be glorified. They are all glorious. Intrinsically here, they are glory. That's who God is. He's the God of glory. But Jesus laid aside voluntarily when he came down to be robed in humanity and flesh. And as we saw at the Mount of, Mount of Transfiguration, he shielded his glory through that human body. And he revealed it for just a moment between before uh, uh, those three disciples as they were there on the Mount of Transfiguration. But now what Jesus is saying is Jesus is saying, listen, glorify thy son, and thy son also may glorify thee. Look at verse 4. What do you think the prime directive of Jesus was? What do you think Jesus' whole life and ministry was about? What, what was the passion of Jesus Christ as he walked this world? Verse 4 says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. He said, in a nutshell, I can tell you, God, for these 33 and a half years, I've been seeking one thing, and that is your glory. It's been my life. It's what it's been about. And the reality is we are Christians. We are followers of Christ. 
And the same prime directive that Jesus had ought to be ours. We ought to walk out of this place this morning and say, by God's grace, I am going to zero in on the main thing that God wants me to do. And keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is the glory of God. And if I can get up on Monday morning and say, oh, God, I want to glorify you to do today. Whatever I, whatever I do, whatever my hands touch, whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I just want to bring glory to your name. It is the priority. And we see here in John 17 that Jesus brings it to the forefront. How about verse 5? And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Boy, he's really majoring on this thought, isn't he? Matter of fact, this whole prayer could come right back down to that one theme. God's glory. It tells you how much Jesus desires it. How much he longed for it. How much he desired for that to be restored. And why as a church do we not understand that that's what we're all about. Unto him be glory. That is our mission. And if we understand how we can bring glory to God, we will fulfill the mission for this church as long as God has this church here on planet earth. The person, the priority. Just, I have to read verse 10. John 17. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. He's saying, listen, I'm going to leave them. I've given, I've poured myself into them. And yet I know that when I'm gone, the nucleus of this first little church that's going to explode at Pentecost, this little nucleus is going to be about my glory. They are going to seek to glorify Jesus. Verse 22 tells us this. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. Verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me, I want you to see this little phrase, be with me. Folks, everybody that you have said goodbye to in this earthly life that knows Jesus Christ has been beckoned by Jesus, has been invited with open hands by Jesus to be with him. I know we could wax eloquent concerning heaven and all that it is, but you know what heaven is to me? It's being with him. That's what it is. It's being with Him. It's being with Jesus. The one that we've loved, that we've bowed our knee, that we've received as our Savior, that purchased our salvation and our eternal life through His precious blood. And He simply says here that they, uh, Father, I will that they also whom Thou hast given me be with me where I am. And get this that they may behold my glory. 
Oh, folks, we, we, get, we get glimpses of God's glory in his word because we can read about it. But when we step into eternity, we're going to see the glory of God. We're going to be with him. And Jesus says, I get to show my glory. Their human bodies are not capable of seeing my glory and, and, and live. Remember Moses had to learn that in Exodus 33? What a great lofty request he made of God. He said, God, show me your glory. And God says, you have no idea what you're asking for. He says, I just want to see it. Can you give me a glimpse of your glory? And God says, no, because if I showed you my glory, you'd die. Aren't you glad in heaven that we've got a body that can see and be in the presence of the glory of God? So what God did, he said, I'm going to humor this guy. Go ahead, climb, climb in a cave, and uh, I'm going to put my hand across the cave, and I'm going to walk on by, and, and what I'm going to allow you to see is just the backside of my glory. Remember when he went up in the mountain for 40 days, and he came back, and his light face was all lit up? Can I tell you something? He just basked in the glory of God. Enjoyed the glory of God. You know what's going to happen When you and I step into eternity, this life will become non-important. My my father has been in heaven. Oh, now, 47 years. He's been in heaven longer than he lived on earth. And he's still basking in the wonder of the glory of his Savior. Jesus said, God, I just can't wait for them to be with me so that they can see my glory. Folks, we're going to be so transfixed. Our hearts and minds are going to be so swelled with the wonder of who Jesus is. All of this world is just going to It's just going to fade away because we're finally home. We're in his presence for all eternity. The person, the priority, the people. I I can see we're not going to finish today. But let me just let us finish this one point in the church. Now, unto him, that's the person, be glory, that's the priority, the people in the church. Again, the church is not the building. The church is God's people. That's why in Ephesians 1, 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory. Paul's referencing the church. And he's saying, listen, people, it's our responsibility. It's our privilege to live to the praise of his glory. That's why when we get to chapter 4, 5, and 6 and we say, okay, I I enjoyed my identity in Christ and all the riches I have, but what about these responsibilities? If you understand that they're linked to the hinge of the glory of God, they're not a burden and they're not a drudgery.
You're a privilege because we understand who it is that's requesting it of us. It's our marvelous, wonderful Savior. It's not a list of to-dos in the Christian life. Oh, I got to do this and I got to do that. No, it's not. It's the backside of the reality of because of who Jesus is and what he's made us and the riches I now have in Christ, this glory of God is wedged between the responsibilities of the Christian life. And I tell you what, if you miss out on the hinge, you really miss out on that which connects the two sides. There's a reason the Holy Spirit of God put this little verse in between these two sections. And it's because he's trying to get us just enamored with the the thought that we as a church could be to the glory of God. That everything we do as a church would be for his glory. That was his prayer. And we can be the answer to that prayer. That's what he asked the Father in the garden. And our local church can be the answer to his prayer if we would be living for the glory of God. The people, it's in the church. God visited Moses, the representative of the nation of Israel. And and Moses got a hint concerning the great glory of God. A few verses I just really want us to to look at, and we're done with this point, but I want you to see Israel in the wilderness and God's glory. Go to Exodus 40. Exodus chapter 40. And I want to read verse 34 and verse 35. Oh. Get in the right book. This is right at the end of the book, and the Bible tells us in verse 34, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Oh, for God to do that with us. Fill this local church with his glory. He did. In the tabernacle, what was that? It was a picture of the place where God's people would gather together and worship him. And the focal point of Moses and his introduction to God and God's plan was, show me your glory. And the introduction to the tabernacle in the wilderness being established, it was all about God's glory and the filling of God's glory. Would you go to 1 Kings chapter number 8 and we go to Solomon and his days and we go to this great Solomon's temple that is erected. And the Bible gives us here in 1 Kings chapter number 8 a little glimpse of what takes place when they come to dedicate this temple. Verse 10 says, And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord. 
so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Folks, what God wanted in the Old Testament, God wants today. What God did for Israel, God wants to do for the church. And we see where God's people are gathered to worship Him, God and His glory is present. 1 Samuel chapter number 4, going back a few pages, we have that horrible story of Eli's son, Hophni and Phinehas. The enemy is the Philistines. The Philistines here were uh, just a tremendous thorn in the side of the people of God. Hophni and Phinehas were wicked before the Lord. And and their Christianity came down to trinkets. See, they had lost the real privilege of seeing the glory of God in their midst, and all they had left was the trinket of the Ark of the Covenant. And they know they need to get in the battle, and they know that it was God's glory that was going to bring victory. And so the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter number 4, verse number 3, And when the people were come unto the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? They lost the battle. Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. I'm making an application to the church of the living God today. We We will substitute anything for the real presence and glory of God. The Ark of the Covenant was where the glory of God descended. And in their mind, that was some spiritual, mystical trinket. Can I tell you, the glory of God departed long before. And all that was left was a piece of furniture. And they thought, let's take this, let's fetch it, let's take it in the battle. And the Bible says, Ahapni and Phineas here, verse number 4, are going to lead. And, and uh, there's such a great joy in the camp. And let me tell you, there's a lot of shouting going on in churches today that are getting all excited about some little trinket, some little piece of furniture, some poor substitute for the presence and the glory of God. And they scream and they yell and they holler. And it's just a piece of furniture. And they work themselves up. Look at what God's people are doing. Verse 5, And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth rang again. I mean, literally, the earth was shaking with how loud God's people were. Victory is here! They have a symbol of the presence and the glory of God, but they don't really have the presence of God and the power of God and the glory of God. They just have the furniture that symbolized it. But boy, it didn't stop them from getting excited. And they began to jump, and the earth is shaking, and the Scripture goes on and tells us that the Philistines heard, verse 6, the noise of the shout. What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was coming to the camp. Even the heathen knew what the ark meant. 
It meant the glory and presence of God. Look at verse number 7. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is come into the camp. They didn't say a piece of furniture came in the camp. They said, God showed up. What do we need at Crown Point Baptist Church? We need God to show up. We need to have our focus on the prime directive. It is God's glory and living for the praise of His glory. That's why we're here. That's what Jesus prayed. That's what He wanted for those disciples to do. That's what Paul admonished to the churches. That's what this hinge here in the very midst of these two sections allows us to focus on. Boy, when I realize all the wealth I have in Jesus Christ and it is for His glory, then I understand gladly my responsibility because that's for His glory. It is all about the glory of God. They're fearful, verse 8. Woe unto us! Who shall deliver us out of the hand of these, this, these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and quit you yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. And the Philistines fought and Israel was smitten and they fled every man into his tent. And there was a very great slaughter for their fell of Israel, 30,000 footmen. I just kind of wonder when we stand before God as His church and other congregations, they know the Lord, but they've substituted a piece of furniture for the presence and glory and honor of God. And they've clapped themselves here to a place where they've applauded each other for everything you can imagine. And they come to finally realize that it wasn't about our trinket. It was about His presence. It was about His glory. And we missed it. Oh, that we would not miss it. Not only is the Ark of the Covenant taken in the story, but Hophni and Phinehas are dead. The Bible closes the chapter simply with telling us about Phineas's wife who was with child. She hears the news and she bears this child. We know the story. The child's name is Ichabod. Because it simply means the glory is departed. Can I tell you, nothing good happens when God's glory is not preeminent. When Ichabod, when the glory is departed, what purpose do we have? What, what's our marching order? What is God wanting us to do? Oh, that God would drive this thought home to our hearts before we get into our responsibility that we would understand why. And my friend, it's all about His glory. Unto Him be glory in the church. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.